The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today it may sound like it's depressing, but it really isn't. It's about the right to die with dignity and aid in dying. And I read this wonderful article in the Daily Journal called Finally Joining the Aid in Dying Crowd, and that's about California um, having some legislation introduced. And you may have read recently in this past year that uh, Brittany Maynard was that young woman who had a brain tumor and she wanted to be able to die with dignity and die without any more pain. And um, she and her whole family and her husband moved to Oregon, and she had that right to die. And it was very tragic, but yet this is really what she wanted. And so this article talks about the legal issues, and we have a wonderful guest with us. The author of this article is Professor Kathy Sermonera, and I want to tell you about her. She has a wonderful background, and I've been speaking with her and enjoyed her article. Professor Kathy Sermonera bridges the medical and legal professions with her work on patients' rights in the end-of-life decision-making arena. And she co-authors the nationally known treatise, The Right to Die, The Law of -of End-of-Life Decision-Making. And she's a reviewer for several medical and medical legal journals. Her scholarship most recently has focused on the intersection between end-of-life care, palliative care, and healthcare coverage policy. At the Nova Southeastern University Shepherd Broad Law Center, she is a full professor and is, she's a director of faculty development. She teaches towards health policy, bioethics, and the quality of care, administrative law, civil procedure, and other health-related courses. And she also created and was the initial director of the online Master of Science in Health Law program for non-lawyers. And uh, she is 
been doing some really wonderful work. Prior to joining the Law Center, faculty Professor Sermonera taught at St. Thomas University School of Law and the University of Miami School of Law. She clerked in the Western District of Pennsylvania in the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, and she practiced law with Reed Smith, Shaw, and McClay in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And she's coming to us from Florida today, and we're so thrilled to have you, Professor. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for asking me, Marie. So um, I'm going to call you Kathy. Kathy, how is it that you first got interested in this issue of the aid in dying? Well, I was fortunate enough during law school to have a professor who remains a dear friend and a mentor to me and is currently my co-author on that book you mentioned, The Right to Die, The Law of End of Life Decision Making. Uh, I was experiencing a medical tragedy of my own during law school. Um, it, It happened to be the same time as my mother was in the process of battling cancer over several years, and in fact, she actually passed away before the end of law school. It just so happened that um, my professor in my first year torts class was named Alan Meisel, and he was beginning a book on the right to die. At that time, there were 11 court cases. The advanced directive statutes were in their infancy. And uh, he needed a research assistant. So throughout law school, I worked with him. I was uh, personally uh, passionate about the topic because I had watched my mother pass away um, with uh, a great deal of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And I um, then continued being interested in it and maintained my friendship with him ever since. Yeah, it's it's wonderful that you were able to do this, and I'm sure your mom is watching from the other side and so proud of you doing these things that would help other people. Thank you. Now, the case law, the the case that you wrote about in this uh, in this article, and uh, was um, named Brody versus Harris. Why don't you tell us about that case? Absolutely. Uh, This case is about Section 401 of the California Penal Code, so a criminal statute that provides that every person who deliberately aids, advises, or encourages another to commit suicide is guilty of a felony. Mm -hmm. So in the case, three cancer patients and three doctors who regularly care for terminally ill patients argue that the statute should be interpreted to permit aid in dying. And the argument there is that aid in dying is not the same as suicide. Alternatively, they argue that if the court rules that aid in dying is the same as suicide, the statute's prohibition of aid in dying is unconstitutional under the California state constitution. So to understand their argument, you really have to understand what they mean by aid in dying, right? Yeah, let's let's compare and contrast aid in dying versus assisted living. Yes. Assisted suicide, sorry. Yes. (laughs) Assisted living. (laughs) Go ahead. So aid in dying is a frequently used judicially and legislatively endorsed term that uh, describes a licensed physician providing assistance, usually a prescription for a lethal dose of medication, to a mentally competent, terminally ill patient at that patient's request. And the patient then has this medication and can choose whether to take it, when to take it, to end his or her dying process and suffering. In other words, this is about physicians who are helping people who are already dying, right? They're, they're dying from a, termina- a terminal illness, a documented terminal illness. 
and what they're choosing to do is shorten their dying process. It's um, assisting suicide is about people who are not necessarily physicians, anybody who's helping someone who's not already dying in his or her life. Right. right? When the person's not already dying, society has a great interest in seeing he or she doesn't end his or her life. Right. But when the terminally ill patient is staring death in the face, the state's interest in that person remaining alive is, is far less weighty. Right, right. So let's talk about how aid in dying relates to our privacy rights. Sure, absolutely. One of the ways that the plaintiffs are saying the statute's prohibition of aid in dying is unconstitutional if the statute covers aid in dying is um, that it would violate the California constitutional right to privacy. And that's in, as you know, Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution in California which says that people are by nature free and independent and have inalienable rights. And it names some of those rights as being defending life and liberty and pursuing and obtaining safety, happiness, and privacy. Right. So it's different from the right to keep, like, your papers private, right, in the sense of preventing others from seeing it. Um, It's also different from the right to keep your home private by preventing other people from searching your home without probable cause. It it relates to the realm of privacy and in in decision-making. Right. Right. The California Supreme Court and appellate courts have said that Californians have a fundamental right to determine for themselves a wide range of medical matters, including ones that might result in their death. And it's important to note uh, for our listeners that there are a handful of states that have a right to privacy in the Constitution, but our federal Constitution does not really state that there is a right to privacy. So let's talk about what what the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled on with regard to um, the, a constitutional right to request and receive assistance in dying. Absolutely. Mari, you're exactly right that the United States Supreme Court um, has ruled with regard to aid in dying uh, with respect to the federal constitutional right. 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 See, in 1997, in two cases called Washington versus Glucksburg and Vacco versus Quill, the United States Supreme Court refused to declare unconstitutional statutes that prohibited assistance suicide, right? That was in the states of Washington and New York. Right. So it's, it's, the thing is, though, that that constitutional right, right, that asserted constitutional right is not, in fact, written out, as you pointed out, in the California Constitution, in the U.S. In the U.S. Constitution. Constitution right, it right. is written out in the California Constitution. Right. And as you know, it's a basic principle of constitutional law that the federal constitution is simply a floor, not a ceiling. So the federal constitution sets forth the minimum level of constitutional rights that every single citizen in the United States is guaranteed. Within any state, however, the state could decide to grant its citizens more rights. And the California Supreme Court, in fact, has ruled many times that the state's right of privacy is independent of and provides more protection than the United States constitution. Right. And there's no preemption in this type of, for privacy, the right to privacy. So that's, that's good. 
Right, right. In fact, the U.S. Supreme Court has actually referred to the laboratory of the state. Right In those rulings, when it, it talked about the federal constitution not guaranteeing a right to aid in dying, the Supreme Court said, essentially, acknowledged that the states had the authority to authorize the process. In fact, Oregon had already authorized the process at that time. And the Supreme Court spoke approvingly of this issue being worked through in this laboratory of the state at the state level. Right, right. Another one of the plaintiff's arguments is that the California statute denies equal protection to terminally ill patients who seek aid in dying. So let's talk about that argument. Sure. Um, The law is clear in California and really in every state that a patient who is dying and who is tethered to a ventilator, for example, some sort of uh, technology that's keeping them alive, the law is clear that those patients have the right to request that the technology be removed. Physicians and other medical personnel must comply with that request or else they have to assist the patient in transferring to another facility or to another doctor where they will get the help. Um, The same is true for everything, from ventilators to medical provision of nutrition and hydration to any sort of um, technological assistance that's merely sustaining life rather than saving it, for example. Um, In fact, the uh, medically provision of um, nutrition and hydration was the kind of treatment that uh, Nancy Cruzan's family authorized removal of. Um, in the only case to reach the U.S. Supreme Court about this issue. Yeah. Now, the plaintiff's argument is that those patients have a right to cut short their mental or physical suffering. Right. right? They can authorize withholding or withdrawing of the treatment that's keeping them alive despite their diseases. But, but these plaintiffs, these three cancer patients in the Brody mm-hmm. case, mm-hmm. aren't dependent on any such technology. Right? Right. They don't have any way to cut short their suffering by telling a doctor or a hospital to take something away. Right, right. So the only way they can cut short their mental and physical suffering, right, is to take this lethal dose that they should have the right to have their physicians prescribe for them to them. Right, right. And and we should say also that, you know, for those of you who are listening, you know, even if you can't speak, you can have a directive, a medical directive. So if you are on a ventilator, your family can make that decision because uh, otherwise, if you don't have a medical directive, what happens? I mean, you really have to have some kind of metal. If you're not able to say, take me off this ventilator, right? Don't you have to have some kind of medical directive unless you're like um, a, a young child? Absolutely. What um, California, I believe, had, if not the very first, one of the very first advanced directive statutes. Um, And that's what these are called. They're called um, advanced directives. They might be living wills that say what you want to have done if you have no um, ability to speak for yourself at that time. You you plan in advance and say what you want to have done in that case if you are, for example, suffering from cancer or lying in a persistent vegetative state. Right. And um, if you don't have one, there's actually a mechanism under the law uh, through which the, the uh, physicians who are in charge can discuss these matters with usually your next of kin. There's a right. list provided under the law of people 
who could make the decisions about these kinds of things for you. The test is always what the patient would have wanted. Right. Right. And so when you leave an advanced directive or when you say, I trust this person to make the decision I would have wanted, right, it, it, it's, um, it's much more believable that that's what you would have wanted. Right. Right. So it's a good idea to have an advanced directive out there so that if something does happen to you, it isn't, it's your decision, even if you're incapable of making that uh, voice, that decision to your physicians. So how about the argument of that, um, that the plaintiffs claim that the statute violates the physician's freedom of speech? What, what is that argument about? All right. The freedom of speech argument is, is premised on the fact that the California statute doesn't simply prohibit aiding another person in committing suicide. What it prohibits is not just aiding, it also prohibits advising or encouraging another person in committing suicide. So the plaintiff's argument is that to the extent that aid in dying is considered to be suicide within the meaning of the statute, the statute prevents physicians from counseling their patients about an option that they believe is a valuable and medically ethically appropriate end-of-life option, Mm. one they call aid in dying and one that if the court reaches this argument, the court has decided constitutes assisting suicide. In fact, in California, the law requires physicians to share information about end-of-life options with patients who request such information. So to the extent, for example, that a physician believes this is an appropriate option, aid in dying is an appropriate option mm-hmm. for a patient who asks about end-of-life options, right? right. then this statute, if, if it's read to include aid in dying as suicide, would criminalize a physician's response that gives information about aid in dying. And that would be true even if the physician were giving information about aid in dying in Oregon so that someone like Brittany Maynard could get to Oregon to establish residency to take advantage of its law where it's legal. Oh, goodness. Um, so, <laughs> you know, a broad reading of that statute would include right. that. And that's right. why they say it violates freedom of speech. I see. I see. So right now we have six states, right, that have allowed it, Oregon, Washington, Vermont, New Mexico, Montana, and uh, Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what's happening in those states? You're you're entirely correct that it's six states right now. By three of those states, the first three you mentioned, Oregon, Washington, and Vermont, there are statutes in place that are uh, setting forth the citizens' rights in that state to aid in dying. In each of these jurisdictions, the practice relates to mentally competent patients who have been diagnosed as terminally ill. And terminally ill is generally um, defined as being uh, less than six months to live if the disease um, takes its normal course. In Oregon and Washington, there are very detailed statutes. The one in Oregon has been in existence for, in operation for 17 years, in existence a little longer than that. And those um, statutes require detailed procedures, three requests, waiting periods. They require physician reporting to the state. This, the statistics are available in those states on the state's websites within their departments of health so that you can see uh, how many 
prescriptions have been requested and how many have been taken. Um, In Vermont right now, the law is the same. Right now until July 1st, 2016, right, the law is going to be just like Oregon and Washington with maybe a few wording changes, but the procedures and the multiple requests and the reports and things like that. In Vermont, after July 1st, 2016, aid in dying will be statutorily authorized in the same manner, to proceed in the same manner, as the Act is apparently proceeding currently throughout Montana, in at least a portion of New Mexico, and according to a panel of experts in Hawaii, as it can proceed in Hawaii. And, and that's basically as a matter of medical practice. It, it is a physician's determination that if a mentally competent patient who is suffering from a terminal illness um, you know, wishes uh, to discuss and to consider and eventually to engage in aid in dying and request a prescription of that physician, the physician is, it's up to the physician. The physician may not believe in it and doesn't have to listen, of course, can tell the patient they wouldn't do that. Or the physician can say, I do believe that's an appropriate medical option and here's the prescription. So Mm -hmm. it's much more a matter of practice. In fact, clinical guidelines are being developed for it. So uh, it, you know, it, because it is going on in states that don't even have required procedures set out. So what about the American Medical Association? What, how have they come out um, on this issue? The, the AMA itself has um, expressed a disagreement with the concept of aid in dying. Most of the major medical associations, in fact, all of the ones I can think of right now, have come out against it. But interestingly, a variety of smaller, less well-known medical associations have, over the last four or five years, uh, expressed approval and even passed resolutions agreeing with the idea of aid in dying. The American Medical Women's Association, the American Medical Students Association, uh, a, a public health, some public health um, providers, associations. And in reality, on the individual letter, there's level, there's a long history of some physicians advocating for this process. One of the U.S. Supreme Court case plaintiffs, one of those cases in 1997, had as a plaintiff Dr. Timothy Quill, who is a New York physician who has long advocated this sort of practice. Hmm. So, how you know, I, I had read in the article that um, men, many of the patients, or some of the patients that request these prescriptions under the state statutes, um, get the prescription, but uh, they never use it. Yes. So what's that all about? So, for example, in Oregon in 2014, and I'm looking right at the, at the Internet you know, for this data, it's all every year's annual report from the Oregon Department of Health is up on Oregon State website. Uh, you know, the, the report for 2014 indicates that there were 155 patients that received from their physicians prescriptions for aid in dying. Okay? Um, out of those 155 for whom the prescriptions were written in 2014, 94 of them actually took 
the medication. There were a few more who took the medication that year, but their prescriptions had been written in previous years. And that shows at least two things. Number one, what it shows is those 11 patients who took prescriptions that were written during the previous years, 2012 and 2014, Right. They waited until they were good and ready. Right. Right. They they didn't feel pressure. They didn't feel as if they um, were required to do this just because they had the prescription. Mm-hmm. They waited in in some cases up to two years to actually take it, and um, obviously that means their terminal terminally ill diagnosis also was not quite on point. But that's true all the time. One of my good physician friends says, you can't actually be positive that someone is going to die in six months. Right. Until (laughs) the day they die, you can count back and say, well, that's when they were terminally ill. But, you know, so diseases take all sorts of courses. Um, The other thing it shows, frankly, is what the, uh, why these people, some choose not to take it. Every year, some people die just of their own natural causes. Right, right. Okay. 37 of the 155 patients who got these prescriptions during 2014 didn't take the medications, subsequently died of other causes, most right. of their terminal illness. Right, right. And that still works for them, though, because what they say later, what they say to their to their families as their families report it to the Oregon Department of Health. It's very much like what you hear Brittany Maynard's surviving mother and um, husband say. They say that when she had this prescription, she could relax. She had the ability to cut short her suffering if she, if she felt she reached the point, and so she could actually concentrate on living. Yes, and that is basically the right to die with dignity, yeah. isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. 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 So what about, I wonder how the health insurance companies are thinking about this. <laughs> you know, I mean, they have an incentive to um, to have people take these pills so that they don't have to keep paying for the for the treatment. And it sounds kind of crude, but, you know, there is that worry. So have they come out uh, in favor or what? What has been the uh, health insurance carriers, the big ones? Well, I certainly know that um, none of them, uh, well, first, I certainly agree that, you know, um, many times you always have to think of the bottom line in dollars when you're talking about any insurance company, health or otherwise, right? Um, In fact, at one point early on when Oregon's statute was passed, um, the people who were insured under Oregon's, uh, well, state-run Medicaid sort of plan called the Oregon Health Plan actually received letters that assured them that if they were eligible for hospice and palliative care, the coverage would also cover aid in dying under the policy, under the state statute. Mm. And uh, there was a huge outcry, of course. Yeah, of you know, course. People thought maybe the health insurers were pushing them right. to use it, right? right, right. Um, the, the laws actually that are in place uh, prohibit that from happening and uh, prohibit this from being considered, for example, suicide for purposes of a a life insurance policy or anything like that. You know, the legislators that have worked on this issue have, have thought about what the insurers might do and have tried to safeguard against that. I know of no public statements from any insurers about 
their positions on the law. And indeed, I don't think they'd want the bad publicity if they were to say they agreed with the law. Exactly, exactly. Well, we're just about out of time. So would you like to just give one piece of advice uh, to my listeners as they're thinking about this issue for themselves and their family? Uh, Yes, actually. It relates to something we spoke about earlier, just very briefly. The Uh, Every listener who is out there really should, if possible, um, think about these issues and, most important, talk about them with their families. Uh, Any end-of-life issue, from the withholding and withdrawing, the kind of issue you might execute an advanced directive about, to this sort of issue. Because, as you mentioned, sometimes people become unable to act for themselves and the worst thing then is for the family, for all the friends to be wondering what this person would have wanted. Yes, that's a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much, Professor Kathy. You're welcome. Sermonera. And um, you have kind of a long uh, website, so do you want to just give it nsu.law.nova.edu and then they can search your name? Yes, that- that, that's perfect. And the name is Kathy with a K. E-E-R-M-I-N-A-R-A. Great. Wonderful. Thank you for all your great work, Kathy, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Uh, visit us at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and let us know what you want to know about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.